Welcome to the Stoke It Up podcast, everybody, a podcast encouraging you in your journey with God. I'm Alan Stoddard. I am your host, and we want to kindle afresh the gift of God that is in you. Today, I'm excited to give you a bonus episode on disciple making, where I was invited to be a part of ChristianBody.net, which goes around the world, literally, to present some teachings in the next five weeks on making disciples of newer, younger believers. The way that you disciple a newer, younger believer will spark everything in your church. Well, thanks for tuning in. Listen to the episode. If you want to see the PowerPoint that I use that I reference in the podcast, you're going to need to zip over to YouTube and watch it. But if you if you want to just listen or watch it, I would like to know what you think about newer, younger believer follow-up and if I can do anything to help spark that revival in your life or in your church, let me know. God bless. Let me know what you think. Hey, uh, how is everybody today? This is ChristianBody.net. Uh, this is Grover. We're glad to have a special guest here today. Uh, Alan has been on with us a number of times, and we have experienced, I'm going to say experienced, some amazing things having to do with di discipleship through the testimony of Alan and some of the people involved. So, Alan, we're just going to turn this over to you if you want to introduce it and get this thing go going. We're going to be doing four or five sessions, uh, and we're looking forward to having them recorded. They will be available, and we'll post some of those uh, places to find them at the end of the program. So, Alan, if you'd like to get started, get it going here. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you, of course, for the invite. You guys here at ChristianBody.net have been so uh, favorable and loving and just brotherly and sisterly to, to, um, to me and Tim Ebert. And so we praise the Lord for you, Grover. Thank you. My name's Alan Stoddard. For anybody watching and you're not connected, I'm a pastor type guy. I've been a Christian since 1988, and I've been a pastor since 1992. Started pastoring churches in 97, but I've been I've been in the ministry since 92. And about about eight years ago, I ran across some material that helped me understand that we were not discipling new believers very well. And I hope that these teachings that we'll do in the next five weeks will be something that will spark your thinking, that will get you thinking toward, okay, I think I will make an adjustment in what God is doing and, um, and jump in. So I want to show you, and so I'll bring this up and put some some uh, visual to this and i'll use a powerpoint here to help us and to talk through it about discipling uh let me just start going on some of this we want to make disciples who make disciples and here's the number we use to get the conversation going only one in ten newer and or younger believers gets discipled one-on-one. -on -one. Now, what we mean by discipled is a person one-on-one -on -one after he or she is saved and baptized. It could be one-on-three, Peter, James, and John. Um, 
But we think people need to be treated right. Now, if you go into any room and ask that room and say, how many of you, of you after you became a Christian and you started walking with the Lord, somebody discipled you one-on-one or one-on-three, you, you will see one in 10 people raise their hands. So the question becomes, are we okay with that number? Or uh, are we going to move and do something about it? And, and it starts with creating burden. So that's what I want to do tonight with about 25 to 30 minutes max is to take this time and create some burden and maybe, maybe dive in, maybe just on what we will start with next week. But one in 10. Now you might get three in 10. You might go into some rooms and get very fortunate and it'll be one in 10 people who, uh, excuse me, six in 10 people who've been saved, baptized, and discipled. But even if it was six in 10, that's still not a great number. Um, but really, it'll come down to one in 10. So we think we ought to do something about it. Now, what are we going to do? I'm going to show you some of that tonight. I started putting this graphic around. I saw it on Twitter, and I think it comes from a uh, book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I have not read the book. But I saw the image, and I thought, this fits perfectly with the funnel that I had created, but this one looks a lot better. Modern-day discipleship today says, come to church, attend, connect, and then after a while, we're going to get you serving. By the way, the connection is, that always seems a little vague. Uh, but, uh, just to be straight up, that should be small groups. <laughs> so many churches this time of year should be announcing, we're doing small groups. We want to get people around food and their Bibles and create fellowship around those two things. That sounds, uh, Dean, we were just talking about that. It sounds like the New Testament, what they did. Uh, so in the modern day, we do attendance connecting, serving, and, and after a while, you know, when you've been in church a while and long enough, we'll get you connected. We're going to put a list out. We're going to get you to sign up for that, and there's going to be three people that'll sign up, and the other 30 aren't. And then we want people to go. Well, notice that funnel gets smaller. Well, this is how Jesus did it, and the picture on the right is a almost perfect example visually of what Robert Coleman, who wrote The Master Plan of Evangelism, a classic, I think it's a 90-page small book. That, that thing is classic. Uh, he analyzed how Jesus did it, and, and this is an image of it. Jesus started with three, Peter, James, and John. He spent more time with them than anybody else. And then, of course, he had the 12 as he enlisted them. And there were more than the 12 disciples. So he's multiplying. He's investing. He's multiplying. He's deputizing. I don't know if you're watching The Chosen, but they are really doing a fairly good job at depicting how Jesus enlisted um, men and women. And then in the end, by the time he was resurrected, there were 500 people who saw him raised from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15. 
And look at the difference. It's a splash all over the world. That's how the world was turned upside down as opposed to the way we do it. Now, some people take this too far. And uh, I say uh, uh, the reason why I say too far is because um, some people are saying we should just go to the house church movement. I am not against that. I think the house church movement is crucial for what is about to happen in the world. The pandemic taught us that we need to be able to do faith in our homes and with our neighbors and in our in small groups. And by the way, using digital means in the manner in which we're using it right now, this is community. Um, we, we need to do all that, but there is something, having said that, we need, you know, in our Western culture, people are comfortable with coming to church and attending. They, they, they don't mind that. There is a validity to it. There are good things that happen on the model on the left. And I'm going to show you how we end up making this work uh, for G like Jesus' strategy. But I like to show this because it shows a very stark difference in the way that we do it. Jesus spent less of his time with the masses and most of his time with the few people. We focus all of our energies on the masses, the programs, and the things of big numbers. It's easier to herd people like that. I get it. I'm a pastor. I've done that many times. And then the amount of people that will be connected and serving is much less. Well, what's this look like? Here's another visual of it. The church today, and the, don't hold me to these numbers, but these are just representative numbers of what Robert Coleman does in his book, Master Plan of Evangelism. It says the church spent uh, spends 20% of its time doing discipleship in smaller groups. So let's go with that's 50%. We spend maybe 50% of our time in small groups. The other 50%. We're busy running around trying to run programs and get these things going. I'm not against these. I would still do some of these. I, I go to a worship service on Sunday morning in a local church, so don't hear me wrong. However, Jesus spent 70% of his time with the few and another 29%. So now we've got 99% and 1%. Now, those numbers are not scientific, okay? Don't use the numbers to try to be scientific, but use them as a motivator in the same way that only one in 10 new believers gets discipled after he or she becomes a Christian. I believe this is an important thing for local churches. And I'll tell you this, I have preached this for about seven or eight years. And it's funny how many people will hear it and they'll ignore it. I'll tell you, I, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, my gosh, man, that's crazy to see people saved and baptized, and we we think we can uh, disciple them in a six-week class. I did that for a long time. Well, let me give you another way of looking at it. Here's a linear, and we have four categories. People before Christ, they're seekers, Acts 17. The scriptures do say that no one seeks God. God's the one that seeks them. But there's another one in Acts 17 where Paul plays on the um, God-shaped hole of a person's soul. 
And he says, you're created to seek God, and he can be found if you'll look for him. People have that, but so I like to use a positive word, but, but they're not believers yet. And then you've got believer. Somebody crosses the line of faith, puts their faith in Christ, becomes a believer. And then after a while, probably not too long, there's an element of following. And in following, really, that word can be stacked on top of believing. Really, the moment we believe, we become followers. But I want to show a differentiation because we're trying to get people to be disciple makers. Every Christian can be a disciple maker. Every Christian. I don't see any evidence in the scriptures in the New Testament where there are some who are said, no, you're gifted on this. You're not a disciple maker. I've never read that. I've never heard anybody preach that. It doesn't, you may not be a public speaker. You may not be a bio, you may not have the gift of teaching, but all of us can be a part of disciple making at the, at the easiest level. And so underneath that is relational. How do people come to church? They come to church and get in rows. That's what that column is on the left. Those are rows of seats on a Sunday morning. They're rows. How do they come? They know somebody. Somebody invites them. And somebody says, hey, man, you want to go to church with me? And uh, that happens before they're believers often. And then they come and they become believers. And we're still doing uh, rows, and we will always do that. But we want to move people into the circle. Because once we get people in circles, they're going to start growing in a way that they would not if they stayed in just the rows. And then ultimately, we want to get them to where we can get them to say, we want to get you one-on-one. Now, why? Look at the bottom of the graphic. I'm synthesizing Robert Coleman's eight principles of how Jesus did it. His book is only in an analysis of the Gospels of how Jesus discipled men and women. I use three words to make it a little simpler. Jesus related to them. He was intentional with them. And he expected them to reproduce. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's more to it than that, but these three get it done. And so we relate to people. And if I ask a pastor, and I say, now, pastor, and he'll go, oh, yes, yes, I'm relating to people. And I'll go, yes, you are. You get an A-plus on that, man. We know you are. You're relating, and you're doing all you can. You're throwing your life out there. Okay, intentional is not just getting them in a circle, but it's getting them with intentional content also. There's certain content now, what is that content? I'm going to show you in just a moment. But intentional content, not just leaving it out there to hopefully, you know, we catch it. We want to get intentional with newer, younger believers, especially. Then we want to tell them up front, in the end, we want them to be able to reproduce this content to another newer, younger believer. So i just show you another graphic. Now, what do we do with newer, younger believers? I put that question mark right there to say right now, anybody listening and anyone in a church, it, when I ask that question, it's convicting because most of the time churches don't have an answer. You could go to the website and there won't even be somewhere where somebody could click on and say, I want to be discipled. 
I'm a new believer. If somebody gets saved and baptized in a local church, and we went up and we interviewed them three months later, here's what would happen. We'd say, hey, man, what happened to you? Did anybody get with you? No. Uh, they they they're invited to the programs and they might have gotten an invite to a group hopefully so that'd be great but most of the time it's it's not enough what we do okay so what is this this is those two funnels that i showed you earlier these are these funnels that i got from uh, a local church that i'm attending here in granbury texas uh, Granberry Baptist Church, they have this funnel for strategy. So the top funnel is the way we do it in the West, and the bottom funnel is the way that Jesus did it. And what happens in our model is we get people to church, and we want them to come, hear the Word of God, learn, and get in a congregation, and then move down into a small group. We want you in a small group. But also, we want to squeeze you even more and get you in a core type group, which is a new, the, which after a while, it's a newer, younger believer follow-up group that disciples them. These are three levels of discipleship, I would call them. Um, these next three are three levels of leadership, because once somebody goes through, we say, okay, now what are you going to do with it? Well, find somebody that you can disciple one-on-one. -on -one. Now that you've got it, you could lead a small group. That's the community there in the middle. You could lead a life group. And you could lead a congregation, a large group of ministry lead, um, and maybe even plant a church. Granbury Baptist Church had this on their website, and the church plant thing really intrigued me. So I thought, I don't know of any churches I know they're out there, uh, but I just haven't seen a lot of them in my neck of the woods and the, where I've been paying attention. And I just found it very fascinating that there was an expectation for this. So we turn what we give them on top into something that they can give away on the bottom. So what I'm talking about is not a program. What I'm going to show you in five weeks in the introductory way is not a program it's a strategy. I prefer to use the word strategy. Program just has a bad name to it now. We've 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 we we just have used it too much. Keep it organic. Now, what we do has to have a sense of program, but we would rather call it strategy. So what's the strategy? The strategy would be okay, who was baptized in the last 30 days? or who was baptized, or who, who's thinking about coming to know the Lord even in the last six months at the church, or whatever time frame you want to put on it. Well, we go and we find them, and we say, would you let us disciple you? We have a discipleship strategy, and, and we want to do this. So it's not a program, it's a strategy, and we keep it organic, which is a hybrid of program and strategy. Now, I'm philosophizing with you right now because I, what I want to do is create in all of us a burden to see that there is a need. And in light of the fact that Christ will return and that we want to be that, that church that is the evangelistic church in the end times, not the apostate church, we want to be about his business making disciples. So here's the same thing relational. Jesus said, said this in Mark 3. He said, 
I, I've appointed you 12 so that they might be with him. He appointed 12, Mark says, that they might be with him. The most important thing he did with them to start was to spend time with them. He spent three years with them. Now, when I started going through this, this is how I got connected to this, this content. Uh, a man named John Burton, uh, I met him in Ruidoso, New Mexico, when I was pastoring there, through another brother, and I didn't know really what was going on. I was a small groups guy, but I could tell they were talking at a different level of discipling. And I thought, what's all this about? So I'd meet with them at Starbucks, and and there wasn't really an agenda. But one day I just said, I want to, okay, I want to know what you're talking about, John. I want to know what's up. He said, okay, you're going to have to go to Albuquerque with me then. We got in the van a couple days later, went up to Albuquerque, and I sat for three hours and when when it was all said and done, I said, how long does this take? Six weeks? And Rick Britton and Dave Britton said, it takes one year. Now, I started laughing, and they were not laughing. And I was like, what? <laughs> they said, it takes one year. And then it dawned on me that I thought, oh, my goodness. I have been running programs and trying to disciple people with what took Jesus three years. I'm trying to squeeze it into a six-week deal. I'm not intentional enough. So I developed a relational uh, approach. I wanted to hang out with new believers. When I started doing this discipleship strategy, I changed my calendar as the pastor, and I packed it with everybody that was new. So, and I would meet them at Starbucks and Ruidoso, and I mean, I, it, it became a honey hole. It was just people getting saved, baptized, discipled. It was awesome. But what did I do with them? Okay, I did what Paul said. Paul said, what you have heard from me, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And he says this, what you've heard from me, there was intentional content that he gave. Now, we know not all of it was what, well, we know none of it was what, well, that's not true. Well, what I'm going to show you in the weeks ahead is uh, very memorable, and it's very uh, catchy, and it's very uh, intentional. Um, Paul was intentional with Timothy in that he said, I remember you. I remember your tears. <laughs> and he did have intentional content that he gave him because the letters of Paul to Timothy and Titus are, are peppered with examples of him saying, remember this, do that, pay attention to this, that kind of thing. But then there's the, the final one. Now, if I talk to pastors and I say, are you relating? Oh, yeah. And what about intentional content? You got any intentional? Oh, yeah, man. Usually it's some book that people aren't going to read. No offense. I, I don't mind the book. But newer, younger believers who don't haven't been in church, which is where we need to be prepared to disciple at least, they are not readers. They're not going to do those workbooks. They might if somebody walks with them. It can happen, and people are doing it. But what we've found is it's better to start with no workbook 
we would rather just get a Bible and show them the key scriptures and show them what they need to know. But then when I ask a pastor and I say, well, is, is what you're doing reproducible? Paul said this, in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's a fourfold downline. Paul, Timothy, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Fourfold downline. Most of the time, I've had pastors say, well, what you do is kind of gimmicky or it's, you know, it's too, it's too visual and, or they're the, what they're really saying. And I've been doing this eight years now. And I, I love my pastors. That we're all brothers. But what we will say as pastors is we will, we will say anything to, we will say anything in lieu of the reality that we're not doing it. We're not creating reproducible disciples. We're just busy. Now, the first thing we tell people is this is not for you. We tell people that. And I'll tell you a story. I, I ran into a guy. He's been on the show here a couple times. And his name is Tim Eber. And Tim um, came from Casper, Wyoming to Rui Doso. He was partying, drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was Tim. Well, I resonated with that because that's the way I was in 1988 till I got set up on a blind date and got saved. Tim came down and he got saved at, um, at the Navajo Reservation on a uh, mission trip. He got baptized the next day, came back the next weekend, and I was standing there at church and the Lord was like, how long are you going to stand there and look at this guy? He's been here a couple of months. Now, this wasn't audible, but the spirit all in one shot basically said, when are you going to start doing something with this guy? I brought John Burton into your life, and he's showing you this stuff, and I brought this guy in for you to do it with, or when are you going to get started? So I got started. And the first thing we tell people when we disciple newer, younger believers, newer everybody, but newer, younger believers, this is not for you. Now, when we say that, what happens is people kind of sit back and they'll go, what? What do you mean it's not for me? I'm here. We want to tell them right up front, yes, this is for you, but it's not for you. It's for you and that God's going to use this stuff and grow you right now. We're going to meet here. It's going to take us four to six months. I usually can get people through this material in four to six months in a way that's, that's, that's good. It may take a year. I took a whole year with Tim Ebert at the Zoka Coffee Shop and Rui Doso. And I told them, this is not for you. This is for you to learn, and I expect you to give it out. Now, the reason why I say that right now is this. We, um, we don't expect new believers to start reproducing fast enough. We, we expect that they're going to wait around for a while. And I can tell you this, not all newer, younger believers reproduce this, but they know it. They could if they had the opportunity. They know a lot more than they would otherwise. And for Tim, he's been giving it away ever since. Now, let me give you the content that we're going to go through in the next five weeks, including tonight. 
And we'll do number one next week. Now, I call these four essential truths. Um, you can call it whatever you want. But we give people four truths. Confidence in your relationship with God. That's the doctrine of assurance. That's all that is. The doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of assurance. And we, we call it confidence in your relationship with God. We think every brand new believer deserves to have confidence in their relationship with God. And they deserve to be discipled on, this is what just happened to you. Let us show you what just happened to you. We're going to disciple it in. We're not going to preach it. We're not going to hand you a book and tell you to read it other than the Bible. We're going to walk with you. And I spend four weeks on this number one. I spend four weeks on this. And I, I will have notes for you next week. As we go through each one, I will have some notes for you that shows you how I unfold this. Um, and, you know, I say four weeks, and I want to be careful with that. Some people, it may take eight. They may have other problems they're going through, and you're going to disciple them, and you may have to carry this along the way with their stuff. It may take that long, depending on, on how, how, how they are in learning. Number two is experiencing the love and forgiveness of God. We think everyone should know what to do with their sin nature after they're saved. After someone becomes a Christian, they need someone who's been down the road to say, this is what, what your problem's going to be. When I, when I got saved, I needed a man, an older man. I was 24, so I needed an older man to say, okay, now, Alan, I heard you talking your testimony. You got issues, dude. You're going to meet me at the Village Inn in El Paso, Texas. I was in the Army and, and was in El Paso. You're going to meet me at the Village Inn once a week. And I'll be calling you to find out when you're free that week. I'm buying you pancakes, and I'm going to tell you how to deal with the things that you have lived so that you don't have to wait five years to figure out the beginning of it. I'm going to save you some time, and, and I'm going to show you how you can experience the love and forgiveness of God. Amen. And then the partner to that one is living filled with the Spirit of God. We want people to live, and the word that I think John Burton would use would be empowered life. We believe that new Christians need to be told earlier than we tell them that the Holy Spirit has come in your life, that there is a fullness and dwelling of the Word of God and the filling of the Spirit of God that can enrich you. You can live, we used to call it this in the, in the late 80s, the victorious Christian life is what it was called. <laughs> I didn't know such things. I was not a Christian. I had just become a Christian. We, we, we show people how, to be, how they can live filled with the Spirit. And then the final one is walking with the Spirit. How, how does a new believer develop a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, a daily, hourly walk with, the God, with God in the Spirit? Now, here's, here's what we call these. And I'll just go maybe five more minutes if y'all will let me, and I'll draw. This will be it. We, we do internals versus externals. And what happens, uh, our brother, John Burton, uh, I can never teach this without mentioning John. He's just 
uh, legend. He, he's one of my, he's like a spiritual dad, he's brother, and he's all of it wrapped up into one. But John has uh, taught us that the four things listed there are the internals. And people deserve the internals before we focus on their externals. Now, catch this. This is crucial. It's called grace. <laughs> but, but the externals are how-tos and habits. So let me use Tim. He never minds me using him. Tim came and uh, started going to church. He, was, he got saved, got baptized. He, he still had a few issues. He had some habits he was still struggling with. They didn't all turn off when he got baptized. He wished they would have, but the Lord didn't deliver him from everything right away. Those are habits. He smoked. He cussed some. He, he uh, was breaking away from partying. And he started transforming like a, like a, like a, a butterfly from a cocoon. He transformed. Now, if I would have came at Tim and said, Tim, you need to stop smoking, man. You need to stop. You need to stop this. And by the way, don't be drinking any beer. Don't do this and that and this and clean your mouth up and this and that and whatever it is. We make our list on people in church, you know, and it's not that those things are wrong. It's not that those things are wrong. It's not that we're not going to want that end result. But here's the thing. We try to get people to the how-tos before we have spent time with them. And I started spending time with Tim and two other brothers, uh, Jonathan Allen and, um, oh, my brain's uh, gone now, Jeremy Wood. And for a year, we met together at the Zoka shop. I, I didn't tell those guys about their habits. I didn't meet with them and say all these things. Now, if they're going over a cliff, I'm going to say something. Uh, but I never showed up telling them how they needed to be living their life. I wanted to give them these internals first. I wanted to disciple into them this content. And a couple of things would happen. One, God would start changing them, and I wouldn't have to say anything. Uh, secondly, if, if I did have to say things along the way, I've now earned the right because I've spent all this time with these guys, meeting them there, texting them the night before saying, dude, we're still meeting. I know it snowed yesterday, but we're still going to meet. It's cold out, but we're going to meet. And what we do is we focus on the internals instead of the externals. And in modern Christianity, we focus on externals. And we don't really give time for people in their internals. I'll give you one more example. And I do think that, uh, yeah, that's it. So one more example. We, we, if you go to someone and you say, tell me your story. When I, and, and I will share this again next week. But if you say, tell me your story. What's your life story? I'll tell you what, they'll start talking and you won't probably be able to shut them up. They will start talking because people don't ask those questions in church. We're too busy getting stuff out, information. I'm not against that information. The, the Bible transforms. I want the Bible out there. But we've got to make a point to where we get to these newer, younger believers. If we will sit down with them and not judge them and trying to make them, whether it's Baptist or Methodist or non-denom or the picture we have, we think, well, not only do we think, I've done this for eight years. For any church that'll do it, it works. It changes the culture of the church. Okay, so that is that. 
Now I'm wondering, what are you sitting there thinking? What questions might you have uh, for me? And let's have some discussion. Is that okay, Grover? Absolutely, brother. Yeah, I'm muted there. Yes, it is.